Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box. And, uh, man, how serendipitous is this? I get to sit here with you. I, I, I knew about this conversation about 10 hours ago, and it was based on a quick conversation that you had with my dad at Barbaritos, and here we are on Outside the Box. Guys, I'm with Dean Davison here, and uh, you guys might know him, or you will soon, um, as the owner of Barbaritos, which is brand new. Yeah, yeah, brand new. The store's been there 10 years, but yep. I'm a brand new owner as of about a month ago. So. And, and uh, this Barbaritos is in Kingsport, Tennessee, where mm-hmm. I am from, where my family's from, where we have uh, a couple different performance medicines in the Tri-Cities area. Mm-hmm. And you met my dad inside of Barbaritos uh, not that long ago, is that oh, right? Yeah, it was like the second week I was there, and um, I was just going around, just you know, getting to know the guests. We have a lot of repeat guests, and I was just going through there and just doing kind of what we would call a table touch and just introduce yeah. myself. And we were we were talking a little bit, and then uh, as we ended up talking for, you know, I finally felt bad for talking to him during <laughs> his whole meal, you know, and I was like, I've got to go, you need to go. And um, when he introduced himself a little bit later it dawned on me that you know i know i know that name and then and then then i looked at his uh his his uh, quarter zip the the shirt he had on his polo and i was like wait a second i put those two together and uh, of course then we talked about another 30 minutes yeah so what a neat guy um just just a great conversation and just um i've thought a lot of him i've listened to y'all's podcast before i've listened to a lot of the stuff that he talks about and i think a lot along those exact same lines as far Mm -hmm. as health and exercise and the spiritual part of it and just like we were talking just a little bit when I walked in here just you know how he is truly uh, a man of medicine you know for the people yeah. not not just for himself or his status or his social status like this is what he really practices well you guys were talking and and I think it became very clear to him that you were somebody who definitely thought outside the box and I know you're going to bring that to Barbaritos and the community around it but you have a wild story yourself coming into the current. Tell us a little bit about where you came from. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited, like you say, and I appreciate you bringing up the Barbados. But, you know, really, um, you know, the story today is is really what the Lord has done in my life over like the last, golly, right at 30 years. Mm. Um, I got saved when I was off at college, mm. uh, right before I turned 21 years old. And um, I was down at Georgia Southern, mm-hmm. uh, down in Statesboro, Georgia, and got saved. I'd always gone to church, always been around church. Uh, I used to cut up with people, you know, now and say, you know, I had a, I had a drug problem. They're like, oh, we never do you do drugs. I was like, well, yeah, my mom drugged me to church every <laughs> Sunday. So, um, so she, you know, it was the, the typical Baptist upbringing. And um, I knew a lot about Christ, but I didn't know Christ. Mm. And so uh, when I got involved, in the campus ministry my, my my older brother really encouraged me to do that and once I once I got saved then I started to turn all that time and energy and, and focus and enthusiasm and passion towards towards the Lord and so uh, started doing some mission trips and growing got involved in a discipleship group um, and then um, you know once I graduated I'm like you know what what do I do so I got out and I was in sales for for a few years for a big company a fortune 500 company I was really blessed to get get on with them and things were going really really well and I had grown up kind of with a mechanical background you know I had, I had done some 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 cart racing and stuff like that as a kid and started flying airplanes at 17 got my private pilot's license at 18 mm. and so I had been around that type of stuff and you know the long story short my brother was an FBI agent by this point and he was down in Orlando Florida 
And I had graduated from Georgia Southern with my first degree in criminal justice. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to try to get on with the Georgia State Patrol and I'm going to try to move up into the federal stuff and I'm just going to be a pilot, you know, in law enforcement. You know, that was kind of Dean's plan for Dean's life. As a young Christian, you know, I was growing and learning, but I was still really about me. Mm. I was very inwardly focused and really, you know, selfish, just like most of us are. You know, mm. we're, we're born that way. You know, you think about it as, as, as babies and I've got three kids now and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, as I begin to grow in my relationship with Christ um, and really, really grow and start turning the attention off of myself and on him and what he was calling me to do and had gifted me to be able to do. Uh, about that time, I get this I get this um, pamphlet uh, from my brother um, who was doing a Bible study with, with a friend down in Orlando. And uh, without going into all those details, it was a pamphlet from Moody Bible Institute out of Chicago. And it talked, there was a just, I can still remember it. It was like a little, maybe two inch by two inch picture of a, of a small plane and a guy standing beside it. And then probably seven or eight, just a small paragraph, seven or eight sentences about, you know, flying in a remote area. And I thought, what? I mean, like, people do this like I thought if you got saved you just became a pastor and who wants to be a pastor I mean you know what I'm saying and, I, and no disrespect to all the amazing pastors out there but that's what I thought that's what I thought that was my image of that growing up and I was like you know I'll get saved and I'll try to serve the Lord but you know I'm not gonna be a preacher like you know not gonna do that and then once I found out there was all these different types of ways as a young Christian to serve the Lord um, that's when I started taking the steps towards Moody how did you, when you saw that picture of the, it was, was it a person next to a plane? What clued you in to think that this is a sign from God? Like, how did, like, how'd you go from that to flying in remote places? And then we're going to get into what that means. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you keep me on, you keep me on topic here, but I, I, I got chills when you asked me that question. I can still remember, I can still remember I was sitting at my desk. And, 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 and our dad, he, 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 you know, he's big on work. We had a strong work ethic. We, we were Eagle Scouts, you know, me and my brother both. He pushed and pushed and pushed. And I had finally gotten what I thought that degree and all of that stuff growing up was the reward, which was Dean being successful in the world's eyes because that's what we think. And sure. we'll, we'll talk about what that means here in a little bit but and what it doesn't mean. Um, so I was sitting at my desk and I, and I had a beautiful office, a big credenza behind me. Um, I was 24, 23, and I remember looking out the and window. You were in the sales job. I was in the sales job <clears throat> up on the second floor. Already been promised, you know, to continue to move up. Um, and things were going, it couldn't be going any better. Um, and I, at that time, who is who is my wife now? Um, me and Heather were dating. She was a dental hygienist, and we were looking at, uh, you know, we, we were talking about getting married and buying a house out of this um, on this big lake, and you know, we were just going to have what we all get duped into believing is the sure. American dream. Sure. And so, to answer that question, all those all of those thoughts and emotions went through me when I looked at that pamphlet and I turned it over and I read it, and I can still remember to answer your question pulling the top desk drawer of my desk out and just carefully putting that in there and closing that desk drawer and going, I not today. know you're not calling me to do this. <laughs> I remember saying, I know you're not calling me to do this. I can still remember it. And that was like in 19, 
96. I can still remember that. I could take you right back to if that building's still there and just right back to my office, right back to that desk, right back to that chair. Was it like, a, so it seems like there was something that connected, probably something from childhood. You've always been into planes, probably always. in some degree. Yes. And you're just like, man. I don't know if I'm ready for whatever that is. Yeah, I was just like, and Lord, things are too good. Uh, things were going too good because yeah. remember, at this point in my life, it's all about Dean. It's all about Dean's plan for Dean's life. Oh yeah, I've got a little spot for the Lord here, but it's all about me, just inwardly focused. And so, and I just thought that's the way we were supposed to be. You know, just I just, you know, my dad always said, if you want something, just knock the door down. Like literally, just knock the door down and go after it. And so I had that mentality, um, and that doesn't mix with when Christ comes into your life, you know? So I was like, thanks for, you're, you hit the nail on the head, thanks for going too good based on what the world tells us is good. Sure. And so I just slowly put it in there. I knew the instant, the instant I started reading that, I knew the Lord was calling me to do that. Interesting. I knew, and I was thinking, wait a second, this guy from South Georgia, that only snow I've ever seen was from a picture when I was three years old and it was flurrying in our front yard, you know, like <laughs> really? But I didn't know Alaska at that time. Okay. All I knew, all I knew was, the Lord wanted to use my mechanical abilities and my skills as an aviator to, to get those all the way up to a commercial level to go serve him somewhere. So at this point, you're, you're in this great job. Uh, you get this sign from God. You kind of say, not yet. What Take me from there. How did you, you mentioned Alaska. How did we get, how did we get to that point yeah. and, and, and go into the Alaska yeah, trip? Yeah, um, that, excellent question. So, so I knew, I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke to me immediately and I thought, and it was, you know, I was a young Christian. I was just a couple years old as a Christian. So I was still a babe in Christ and I was like, you know, is this the way this works? Is this how this happens? And so, um, I put, I put it away. I continued to me, me and Heather and I and another gentleman had started a youth group for a bunch of small churches that just had a few youth and didn't have a big enough church to have a youth pastor yeah. so we were kind of doing this in the area and i was like lord isn't this enough <laughs> so i said i said isn't this enough i'm speaking at some churches you know what i'm saying i'm doing this youth stuff we had this big thing on friday nights after the football games i mean it was just crazy because we were in our 20s but we were a lot older than a 16 17 18 year old right but you know, it didn't seem like it at the time. And so we were doing videos and music. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know how we were doing all this stuff, just to be honest with you. Somebody gave us a house for us to start meeting in. So I was like, Lord, isn't this enough? Like, this is enough. Like I'm serving you here. Mm. I got this good job. I've got everything that I, that Dean wanted, you know, here, the eye problem. So, so how did we get there? So I started going literally to the altar on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like every single service to the point where I thought these people are going to think I've got some kind of terminally ill disease. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy is wearing the altar out. And finally I went to the pastor and I said, look, how do you know? How do you like, I got to be sure about this. You know, like I really need to know is the Lord calling me? Is this what he's calling? Like, is this how this happens? And he, and he told me, he said, Dean, from what you're describing, this is exactly what the Lord's calling you to do. And I was like, it can't be, you know what I'm saying? Like, first of all, I'm just, I'm just a guy from South Georgia. Like he can't use me, mm -hmm. you know? And I said, second of all, you know, I've got everything going in life. Like I've worked for since I was nine or 10 years old, mowing yards and, you yeah. know, working at the, look at busting tables on Friday and Saturday nights at a, at, a, at a little restaurant down from the house. And, you know, I said, that this can't be. And so after about a, literally a year of praying, I, I went back to that brochure and back then it was before email and stuff really. And so they, they mailed me a brochure. I filled out the application. And what they would do then is they would bring in about 90 candidates uh, to an evaluation camp. And they'd, you'd stay up here for a week. 
and then you would fly part of the day and then you'd they would give you mechanical skill tests throughout the rest of the day they, so this is in order to get a certain license to be able to fly commercially that's right that's okay. exactly because okay. i had my private i had my private license but but private is just me and you going around and right. looking at watauga lake you know right. or, or you know flying around so so to get my instrument rating my commercial rating and all my maintenance ratings to work on the planes because you're going to be in a remote area were you going to do all that if you didn't get this sign or is this is this kind of that first action step once you got the sign yeah none of this was in it was in my plan at this got point it. i'm totally following the lord um i was going to be happy with my little private license fly to the have beach fun. Yeah, have yeah, fun yeah. live at this community that has a little airstrip it has a little lake and just do it for fun like i'd always done i'd never wanted to be like a commercial pilot or a you know air taxi or anything like that i just enjoyed flying i enjoyed working on things but when the lord got involved and said look i can use you i can use these skills i've gifted you with to serve me in remote areas and not everybody's equipped like that. So I just couldn't deny it, you know? So I filled out the application. I went through the process. And even then, even when I was evaluation cap, I wasn't, I wasn't still sold on my idea. I was just taking it one step at a time. I had to go back and do a good bit of more Bible classes. Okay. So I did all that. I was doing everything to walk through those doors as the Lord continued to open them. But when we were over here, um, it was, it was June of 1996. I went through evaluation camp and there was 92 of us. They accepted 32. And when I gra I started the next summer in 97, when I graduated from there three years later from the actual aviation campus here over in Elizabethan, they were, there was from, from 92 to 32 to 13. Wow. So it was one of the toughest hardest academic however you want to look at it educations I've ever done in my life what why is it so um competitive so like is it tougher to fly in remote areas is yeah. it is there is does it require more skill yeah I mean it, it definitely does and moody was the toughest place to go as far as their standards on training so you have the FAA standards that anybody that wants to get these private instrument commercial atp different ratings has to go through well that moody took it up several mm. notches from the faa standards got it because you were going to be in remote areas you were going to be in different type of wind patterns um just like up there the wind the weather would change in our and, and just i used to have two or three different backup plans when i would take off in alaska because the weather could change almost instantly interesting because of mount mckinley Denali, yeah you know. so so their training was very very rigorous a lot of people just washed out, if you will. And the way I looked at it, it was just the Lord was calling some to, to continue to do that and, and yep. move others in other directions. You know, I don't think it was somebody was better than the next person in a sense. There's some people just had the skills to be able to continue to go. But it was I guess it was right up there with military style training. What's interesting to me is um, I would also imagine the fact that you were uh you were getting your energy from a, another source in a way like it, it, to me, like if it's, if it's coming from you and for you there, like it's a little more limiting than if, you know, you clearly, um, this was kind of God's plan for you. And like, there's something to that. And I, I have, you know, reason to believe that that had something to do with why you, in addition to your skill, yep. made it. Oh, or, no. And God probably knew that you had that. I, no, you're absolutely right. Because at this point, when when we started talking, leaving leaving the company I was with and coming up coming up here to do the evaluation cap, and then obviously the next year starting in school, it's like I'm telling, it's like I'm 
telling a story about somebody else because it wasn't that wasn't me at that point everything up in that point pretty much had been me mm-hmm. from that point on it was definitely the lord it was not my idea it wasn't something that i had dreamed up and thought oh this will be neat or i can serve the lord this way it was totally removed in from the equation and the lord was the one that was sustaining mm-hmm. me getting us through it financially physically spiritually you know the skills you know i, I don't know i did I was surprised when I got the letter that said I had been accepted. I mean, I was very surprised. You know, I was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, at that point, did you know you were going to Alaska? No. At that point, we knew we were coming here. At that point, I knew I had to raise a bunch of money um, to get through school. So we started speaking at churches and and, and sending out newsletters and all that good stuff. Uh, But I had no idea where we would go. But each fall, they'd have a missions conference and uh, mission agencies that needed pilot mechanics from all over the world would come and we would sit down with them and I mean there'd be 10 or 12 agencies there and they would say we need a pilot and a mechanic here we need a pilot mechanic here we need one here so we always thought it was going to be with a group called New Tribes Missions and going to Papua New Guinea that's just kind of what we thought it was going to be and my senior year all that changed we heard about some um, needs in Alaska and um, that's that's you know we started taking the steps to to move move towards Alaska. So what year was that? You started this journey kind of in '96. '96 graduated in 2000. Started raising support and figuring things out right around the 2000 mark. And then was we were I mean it was amazing how the Lord just put everything together with an airplane and everything. I, I came ordained at that point because they they didn't want just a really I really became the pastor I, I actually was the pastor there in a Athabascan Indian village with 160 Athabascan Indians on the Yukon River uh, with me and my wife and my two daughters my son was not born until we got back it was Caden and Cammy uh, they're 23 and 21 now so um, but Cammy was like three months old the day we got there so you're up in Alaska and in uh, what do you do as a as a uh, a uh, flying a plane up in Alaska. Yeah, I like, mean, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, well, at that time, I remember looking up, and I don't think I told Heather this, but it was the third most dangerous job in the world. A plane was crashing every six days. No kidding. In Alaska, were, we, were you like transporting? Stuff? So we were transport. It's it's. The, I love that question. We were transporting anything from sled dogs to people to food to uh, supplies, to lumber. You know, I was in a small six-passenger plane, but I could take, I had it where I could take every seat out but the pilot seat, and it had good cargo doors on it, and it had what they call a belly pot on the bottom of it, so I could fill it full of stuff, fill everything else full of stuff. I was taking kids to Bible camp, and, you know, when we talk about camp, we get on a bus, our kids get on a bus, they drive to, drive to camp, and it's, you know, super, super nice. These, these people, I would go fly to different villages, bring them back to our village, We'd wait on the banks of the Yukon. A boat would come by, take them up the Yukon about two hours, and there was Bible camp. Jeez. Yes. Everything is way more difficult. Uh, everything. Every Just living out there. Like, we get so much done in an hour that would take a day or two to get done out there because just living, just existing is is work just yeah. your food just keeping things repaired i mean i've i'll you'll learn to work on stuff that you never thought you i mean i was part plumber part electrician part you know mechanic <laughs> um but taking these kids to bible camp you know they would wait on the banks of the yukon for the boat to come up and then once they got there they would be there for a week then we'd go back and, and pick them up and, and take them back but they're they were so remote that all the stuff all their food had to be up in what they called a cache about 12 15 feet off the ground so the bears 
would not get mm. up and get the get the food and mess mm. with the water and everything. So it was just it, we talk about being remote and we talk about being you know backwoods and I mean this is this is like Paris compared <laughs> to where we were at. You know what I'm saying? So. Well, I have to ask like. Uh, it seems like it takes a ton of resiliency just to exist up there. What were some things? What were some things that you learned while, I mean, you, while you were there, either from the people, from yourself, from God? Like, what yeah, did you learn up there? Just, I mean, just a ton. I mean, if you could have put an ac- academic degree on it, you know, it would have been, yeah. been a double PhD or something, <laughs> you know, because you just can't get that type of experience. I learned so much. I mean, I learned. You know, first of all, the Lord's the one that called us there. You know, it was not my idea. It was not Heather's idea. Um, when, when I when we first sat down and talked about, you know, even leaving to go get the training to to do what we felt like the Lord's calling us to, do, she said, "Look, you know, we're we're married because uh, we we obviously got married by that point, and we're joined as one in Christ's eyes. And so, if this is what the Lord is calling us to do, then then let's go do it." So I learned a lot about what the Lord. Mm you know, wants us and calls us to do and being obedient, mm. you know, um, you've noticed I'm kind of redheaded. So I'm a little rebellious, you know, that kind of goes, goes with the territory and it's all true. And so, you know, I, it was hard for me to follow another plan that wasn't mine because I felt like I had worked so hard. I felt like I had earned some earned where I had gotten in life at mm. 23, 24 years old, but the Lord showed me, no, no, you didn't. Like he's, he's like, I, I died in your place to pay the price for your sins. And I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm asking you to die to yourself. Mm. And so that's what I learned by going to Alaska. One of the main things was to die to myself to serve him and to serve those others. So other people, and when you turn the attention away from, Think about it. You, you you'll relate to this in your own life. Some of the worst days I have when I'm is when I'm focused on Dean. Mm. Some of the best days I have is when I'm focused. Just like when I met your dad that day, I was all about focusing on the guests that mm. day, walking around, shaking hands, making sure they are having a great experience in the restaurant, and that's how I met your dad. Yeah, I could have been worried about, oh, are we making money? You know what I'm right. saying? Uh, who's who's on overtime? You know what I'm saying? Right. As the Cisco truck showed up, you know, right? I, I was I was totally focused on the other people in my in in the restaurant at that time and so when i got to alaska that was total focus on those folks there was nothing for me or heather or my girls to gain from being there mm. it was not it was this was not a caribbean ministry you know what i'm saying i mean it was here i've been doing some stuff down in the bahamas and and i was like thank you lord is this my reward because i'm i'm flying down close to turks and caicos um last december and the water went from this gorgeous blue aqua to this amazing deep purple and I'm like I, you can't even take a picture of that to be able to describe that so I was like is this my reward for serving in Alaska that sorry sorry to get off on top topic there but but yeah that's I mean that's what I learned you know is being obedient to what he's called us to do outwardly focused not inwardly mm. focused love it I love it and I think I'm trying to think like how can is being obedient is it like a muscle is it something that gets you know, easier the more you do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it does. But then I think it, it can also atrophy, just like if, you know, I worked out yeah. this morning. And so, you know, I try to work out four or five times a week, but the first few weeks of the restaurant, you know, I couldn't find the gym. You know what I'm saying? Because I was, I was working and I was at the restaurant a lot and I was running around. So I think, I think, I think your faith can do that. I really do. I felt like my faith, and I don't mind admitting this, was stronger during those few years in Alaska, then maybe it is even now. Mm. And the reason I say that is because I was 110% dependent on him for my safety, for the safety of my family, for my groceries, 
flying that airplane, like I say, a plane was going down every six days. I mean, like, you know, that is a lot. The weather changes, mechanical issues, there's not good places to land. Mm. Um, you know, if it is, it's gonna be in several feet of snow. You know, I literally had, you know, about 40 pounds of survival gear. You know, like if, if you know you gotta load up with that every time you leave, you know, the odds are that could happen. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, we drive across town. If I don't even have a spare tire right now, I don't care. Like, somebody's going to stop. I'm going to call somebody on my cell phone. <laughs> yeah. I'll just sit there and do emails because i got plenty <laughs> of work to do. You know, I'm not worried about that. But but in Alaska, like, we, we bundled up and we would take the girls. And this really affected Heather to this day. We would bundle the girls up. We'd put them in their little car seats. And um, Heather would be bundled up. I'd be bundled because we already wanted to have on our protective clothing in case we went down. So mentally, that that affected me, but it really affected Heather. Like to this day, once we got back from Alaska, and she, we started dating when she was 15, I was 17. And I got my license, like I say, right, right, right when I turned 18. And so we would fly, fly. Like some mm. of our dates as teenagers through college was to get in the plane and fly to Jacksonville for dinner or fly to St. Simons. This was all That's down. so cool. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah. And we, we would call you up and go, hey, you and Sarah come and jump in the plane. We're, we're flying. And they're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, let's go. And we would fly, fly, fly. My little girls have hundreds of hours yeah. in, in airplanes. Now, they'll still jump in. If we can get to the beach in 45 minutes, they're like, yeah. Yeah, what whatever. Time, what time are we leaving? Yeah. But Heather, to this day, has still been affected by that mm. you know and she will not she even went and sat in the plane that we're partners in and it's not nothing fancy or anything but she went and sat in it the other day and she's like man what a shame like what a nice airplane and i still have this lasting effect of you know being anxious about being in the air mm. and so um it was very very mental you talk about the mental toughness we lived in a 600 square foot cabin that had only 20 percent of the village had running water and only 20% of the village had electricity. Jeez. Yeah. The electricity was a big diesel generator, just like they would use on the, on, on the, on the battleground, on the battlefields. Mm. And then we had um, a box that came up, just a well that came up, and it was all heated. All the pipes were heated. Um, it was the best bathroom floor I've ever had in my life. It was so heated. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're like at a 15-star you know, luxury <laughs> hotel. And we're out in the middle of the, 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 the woods. But we had three light bulbs, the no, no fixtures, just literally hang down from the, from the wires, and a little tiny little kitchen area, little bedroom, little bedroom. Oh, we had both the girls in there. And, um, I mean, it was teeny tiny. So just the darkness, mm. the depression, the anxiety, her worrying about me, um, the suicide rate, because that's still part of America, even though you don't feel like where we were now. If you go to the southeast part where people go to cruises, they're not even going to understand why I'm, they're going to be like, that guy's crazy, man. <laughs> we, we love going there. We get off the cruise ship and we see, yeah, we were like 800 miles north of you. You know what I'm saying? We were only 125 miles south of the Arctic Circle. So we were, we were on top of the world, you know, but we weren't living like we were on top of the world. And um, so, that, so the darkness, the anxiety, the, the sexual abuse in a village, the drug abuse in a village would blow your mind. Mm. You would never, that Yukon River, when it freezes over, it comes like uh, Interstate 26 out here. It's just snowmobile, snowmobile, snowmobile. It becomes like a little highway and they're running stuff back and forth up through there. Really? It's unreal at the abuse, the drug abuse, the sexual abuse, the anxiety. It's because of they have no hope. There's nothing out there to really give them hope other it, than. Is it like, it's dark up there, right? Is, yeah. is that the one where it's, where it's dark 24 hours a day? Not, now, uh, another, another up in Barrow, they, okay. they have a day where they d it doesn't even come up. And then, you know, leading towards that, it's bloop up on the horizon and back down. Around 11, it would be like it looked like about 
6.45 this morning. Jeez. You see what I'm saying? To, and then about 7 o'clock, 7.15 until about 2 o'clock today. And then it starts going right back down. So about three or four hours in, the, in our lowest part of the daylight. What were some of the things that you guys did as a family or you personally to kind of, you know, stay upbeat, stay positive? Because you're there on a mission, you know? Like, how did you deal with that? Uh, I mean, that's just... It's just a great question. Multiple ways. I mean, and I don't want to over-spiritualize anything. Uh, one of them was just go down to the general store and get a Pepsi for me and Heather. I love that. And I don't, I don't even no, drink soft drinks. Right. I would go down. It was, it was if, if the listeners can envision Little House on the Prairie on the Yukon River with an airplane <laughs> and a snowmobile. Okay, no wagons, you know, but everything else was the same. We had a sawmill. We had a little general store that had the post office in it. The, the plane would bring in the, the mail. And so I would literally go down there, and we, we got in with them, uh, the manager of the store. So she, we had a little phone system. It was kind of kind of like a walkie-talkie system, but it, was, it, was like, it looked like a phone. And it was like a little delay, but she'd call us and say, hey, the plane's coming, and they got some Pepsi on the plane. So I would get a tip that, uh, Pepsi, <laughs> that Pepsi was coming in. And so we literally would go down there and wait for them to unload the plane and bring it in the store. That was like one of the biggest things that um, was so special to us. Because like I say, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, is that was a big thing. I remember one day, it had been about 35 below for four or five days, a lot of snow, a lot of mess. Heather had not been out. The girls had not been out. I would still get out because I had to go check on the plane and go around and check on the people in the village and, you know, pray with them, a lot of counseling, stuff like that. And I can't, it was 20 below. I can still remember this. It was 20 below. I put up on the snowmobile. The sun was out kind of like a day like today in northeast Tennessee, and it was 20 below. And I walked in. We had an Arctic porch where you took all several layers off and then walked into the house, which is what I would have on today, and um, said, get the girls dressed. It's 20 below. We need to get everybody out outside it's beautiful and she was like what and we we went for a snowmobile ride that day really? just to get everybody outside it, you your body starts to acclimate now you can't just sit up there so with 20, no clothes below, 20 below is warm it felt warm after 35 below God. and you have been cooped up in a cabin for four or five days and heather needed to get out yeah so we would do things like that we'd get on the snowmobile ride around because there was no roads it was just trails and then we would we would um when i would fly into fairbanks we would go to Costco and I would load up, like I told you, I had that external belly pod on the plane and, and it was not it was not heated. So I would go into Costco and buy all shrimp, steak, all kinds of stuff and just load that, load that up and uh, we'd have a big cookout. And then, um, but the main thing, besides just the physical things that we did like that to try to make things special was, you know, we were, I was what I was telling you, we were 110% dependent on the Lord. Mm. Like here, I can get away from stuff or I can, you know, we're in Johnson City. I mean, there's just anything you want to get into around here. There, it was just Heather and me, the girls, and this strange culture that we literally stepped out of this culture and a few days later landed in that culture, like literally. And that was very, very tough. So we totally were dependent on the Lord for just our mental health. How long did you do that? So we were up there, gosh, from the training, the fundraising, and up there like seven years of, of everything, seven but years. not all in Alaska. You know what I'm saying? That was the training, the fundraising, and then up there. But after a few seasons, it was just, I, I remember telling Heather, and this was hopefully help people with, with the mental part of things. And she was, I could tell it was starting to weigh on her. Mm. And so I said, Heather, if this ever gets too tough, you know, you, you let me know, you know, you just, you just say mercy, sure. you know, yeah. and, and, and we'll, we'll get out of here. Well, a couple of weeks went by, and um, 
and she was she was like a little bulldog. I was like, man, she's she's never gonna say that. And I was like, you know, the Lord has called me to be the spiritual leader um, as the head of the household, mm. and that's the way He's ordained the family unit. Mm. And I was like, I've got to make this tough decision because I could jump in that airplane. I mean, I'm a country boy. You gave me a high-powered rifle, a snowmobile, which I'd never seen one before, and an airplane, and I pretty much can survive anywhere. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to be pretty content. You know, I got my airplane, got my rifle, got my snowmobile. But Heather was there literally in a, in a cabin, if you can envision if you're at home, with a two-car garage that's right. about 600 square feet with two babies right. all day, every day, Yep. you know, in the dark. And so I came to the conclusion that I had to make some decisions, yeah. you know, and I had to decide that it's my relationship with Christ, then my relationship with my wife, then our, then our ministry. Mm. And I've seen a lot of people get their ministry before both of those. Oh, interesting. So you guys, okay, so you made the tough decision, come back here. Yep. And then uh, you got into back into corporate world. What, yeah, what? I made, made the decision. I talked to some mentors. Uh, one of them has passed away now. He was a missionary on the Nile River. Just in a, He's kind of like Paul to me, just an amazing missionary, an amazing, amazing person. And then one of them is still here, um, super amazing guy, very just did a lot for us and still does to this day. I still call him on when I actually bought the restaurant. I sat down no with him. Way. Yeah, and got some of his advice. Super, super good man. Um, uh, just a great guy. So we didn't know where we were going back to. We went back to South Georgia. I could have got back with a company in the corporate world where I was at. There was an offer there. And it just didn't feel right, you know. So we came up here to literally visit some churches and visit some former supporters just to let them know sure they knew what we had done and we would come back but we just wanted to let them know what was going on and while we were here um um some some good friends said hey why don't y'all stay an extra few days we've got this house it's a family house we, we hadn't decided what we're going to do with it y'all just stay there for a few days and we were literally the last day we were getting up packing up to go back to georgia and i was like you know nothing really opened up up here and then boom a door a door opened up we went down there didn't have much, but a bunch of Carhartt jackets and clothes and bibs and coveralls and loaded all that up and, and moved up here. And it was it was another adventure. I felt like the Lord was like, you know, you can go back to South Georgia. There's nothing wrong with that. But but I could use you up here in Northeast Tennessee. And so we moved up here and I didn't I just had we had a place to stay free rent until I found a job. But I didn't have a job. <laughs> and that is just so not like me. You know what I'm saying? Because I like everything planned, everything to a T. That keeps me less anxious and, and, and focused. And I moved out here with no job and um, ended up getting a job that took to a different job, got back up in the corporate world. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, but teaching Bible studies, I got a Bible study on Sunday nights with, with those 21 high schoolers there last Sunday night, 16, Amazing. 17, 18 years old. They come to my basement on Sunday nights and they want to study the word of God. I mean, so cool. they could tell their mom and dad that they're going anywhere in the Tri-Cities and they literally show up at my house. That's amazing. It's super cool. Yeah. Well, so the Lord's used us since we've been back. Your story is just so amazing. Like as we wrap up here, what are some kind of practical things listeners can take away, you know, that you learned in, through your experience in Alaska, through dealing with, you know, maybe some of the depression, that sort of thing. And I, I think a big thing is like being flexible. You know, yeah. being able to kind of roll with things, you yeah. know, while, and then I, I got a personal question uh, after that. Go ahead and talk okay. about it. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully we didn't get too sidetracked because I did want to talk about that. It was definitely mentally tough for Heather and, and, and myself, you know, you know, being the guy and the way we're, you know, raised in, in our culture, you know, we, we don't want to act like, well, it was just Heather. I mean, it was definitely me too. It was sure. very, very tough. So just totally being honest with yourself, you know, 
we, we were there. The Lord had us there. He called us there. Um, there's no doubt about that. He, he led us back mm. to be here and do the ministry that we do today. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, but to be honest with yourself, if, if this isn't working, be honest. Because when you're not with yourself, then it completely turns into anxiety and stress. And you're trying to be somebody that you're, that you're not. You know, your, your mom and I was talking the other day and, you know, with one of your other guys that had been on. And I listened to that. It was very, very good. Very, very interesting. And gave me a different perspective even today. Yeah. on how to think about things. So just learning to be honest with myself, but always, always putting the Lord first. He's never going to call us or take us somewhere that he has not equipped us to do. And he equipped Heather and I to do that. Oh. Um, I, we thought we'd be there for a lifetime. We really had planned on this is where we're going to be. That's the mindset we went with. It was never, oh, this is a two-year commitment or a six-month commitment. Or I would be like, that's oh, not worth doing all this for, you know, this is a lifetime commitment, but he didn't leave us there for a lifetime. And I cut up sometimes when I speak and I'll say, you know, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going, do two things. I'm going to ask Adam and Eve why they screwed everything up for us because we could be sitting in the cool of the garden sipping lemonade. And the second thing I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Lord is, hey, why, why didn't you leave? Like, why? Like, but his economy is not our economy. And that's the other thing I learned is that just because we felt like we'd put all this time and all this energy into that, he may have had us there for that. To me and Heather seemed like a short amount of time. Did all that training for just a few people. Mm. I don't know. You know what yeah. I'm saying? We'll get to see one day why he had us there. You know, I, all I know is he did have us there. And all I know is he has us here in East Tennessee and he's had us here for the last, you know, 17, 18 years, you know. Yeah. But I did learn, you know, Luke 9.23 is, you know, is to, to, if any man come after me, just deny himself, take up Christ's cross daily and follow him, you mm. know. And that's, to me, that's what it, it's not about me you know what i'm saying this time here on earth is really not about dean davison uh, he's blessed me with a wife he's blessed me with the kids he's blessed me with a good job he's blessed me with ministry here but it's really about all of that to build up the kingdom because we're mm. not going to be here forever i love that uh personal personal question here um i'm similar to you i like having a plan i like having you know kind of my task list how do you how do you exercise like obedience uh, faith while also knowing, you know, personally what you need, you know, to, to not be fearful, anxious, you know, I'm somebody who, who kind of likes to know what I'm doing, but I'm also, you know, I want to be more like you and, and have like, uh, that, obedience outward focus mindset yeah man i love it uh, you and i are a lot like i could just just tell you know by have listened to your podcast and, and meeting you and being a pilot think about it i'm you very have, checklist oriented like i want a checklist i mean i want a checklist i want to know what comes next i want to know what happens if you miss that part on the checklist and you're the same type of structured person so for me how how did i allow the lord to work through me and not have that because I'm definitely not, oh, let's just, you know, walk out here on 26 and see if we can catch a ride and yeah. see where we end up. That is not me at yeah. all, not yeah. even remotely close to me. And when I tell this story that we just told, that was a lot like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like Alaska from South Georgia with two babies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Two babies are hard in 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 downtown Johnson City, much less <laughs> where we don't have medical attention if something happens. And so so for me it was total and, and that's why that's why I touched on this a while ago. It was total faith. Uh, ben, for me, it was total faith because that was not me. Mm. When I said mm. earlier, when I was saying, I'm telling this story, it's like I'm telling you about another person. It was me. But it's like I'm describing somebody else, somebody else's testimony, something else went on because my faith was so strong in the Lord at that time. Um, my salvation has never waned. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm saved. 
I was saved then, I'm still saved now. But I had more, my faith was stronger. I'm just telling you, my faith uh, was stronger yeah. um, in the Lord at that time. And he was the one that was able to allow me to be flexible, to, to, to roll with it and go where he, where he leads. And I, I, I really can't say that I'm at that same point today. Yeah. So it's kind of like a balance. Like there's going to be seasons when you have to like be, you know, fully winging it. And there'll be seasons where, you know, you are a little more regimented, have your task list, have your plan. Yes. You know? Yes. That's, you're, you're exactly right. And he just, you know, even today I'm still following him. Obviously I'm still following him. But what I do today doesn't take as much faith as what I did 20-something years ago. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I, don't, I, I can't I, – I don't know, maybe that's part two. I can't answer that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I really can't answer that because um, I know I'm still following him. I know he's leading me. I know he's using me and my family um, in a lot of lives in the Tri-Cities. Um, again, we've done some aviation ministry down in Bahamas, and he's used us down there. Um, but, yeah, that – that is really to sum it up is just, it was all about the faith and mm. it really wasn't me. And when you take and put your faith in Christ and you become obedient through that faith, he starts to lead you. You take your eyes off of yourself and you start seeing him work through you in the lives of the, in this case, the Athabascan Indians, then you don't really look back. You don't really think about your checklist and where you want to be in life and the way we were raised. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it's, we're, we live in an amazing culture. I love our, it's amazing, but at the same time, it can totally take us in a way wrong direction. <laughs> does that, does that make sense? It does. So, totally. Yep. Dean, man, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us on outside the box, man. Wow. That's incredible. Incredible wow. story. Thank you, man. Uh, anything you want, any parting advice you want to leave uh, the listeners with? Man, I, you know, just for everybody listening, just again, thank you for having me. I mean, I literally, this was totally candid with nothing was rehearsed. I felt like I walked off the Watauga Avenue here and just sat down and started talking, <laughs> had a microphone. And I, I love that. Um, no, just, just, just for anybody out there listening, you know, just the love of Christ and what he's done for us and what he wants to do, the way, you know, he paid the price for our sins on the cross and that he does. Last thing, I was talking to a young person the other day, and I won't say who or where, and they mentioned something about, you know, well, I, I said to this person, hey, be good, don't get in any trouble, just making small talk like we always do before yeah. somebody walks out uh, to your kid or another kid or whatever, and they were like, ah, it doesn't really matter. You're just here till you die anyway. And man, that hit me like a ton of bricks for this 17, 18 year old to tell me, oh, you, that's, that's what you think about life. Mm. And so what I'd like to leave with everybody, um, and I taught on this the other night at a, at a quick little devotion that we did, is that Ephesians chapter two, uh, one through 10, is talking about being made alive in Christ. And you're not alive on this earth until you know Jesus Christ as your savior. And mm. once you become to know the love, the Jesus Christ, as your savior and experience that love he has for you, then you can turn. Cause we're all about humans are, you know, and you've heard this on some of your other podcasts and the guys, and I loved how they brought that in it, are about love. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And we've got to feel, we, we are humans. We want to be loved and we want to love. Yeah. And so when you experience that love from the father of Jesus Christ, who paid the price for 
for us um, and you experience that and you're able to actually go out and give that and quit loving yourself mm. and go out and love others, whether it's in Johnson City, whether it's on the Yukon River in Alaska, whether it's, you know, all the way across the world, you know, that's what I would like to leave with people because mm. then you're getting the mindset of Christ and you're made alive in Christ. And we're not just, we're just not here existing till we die. Yeah. And when that young person said that to me, you know, it broke my heart. I've since had a conversation with them and I'm going to continue to have more conversations with this, with this person I'm talking about. But you, you're made alive in Christ, and that's what we need to realize, that if these people are dealing with anxiety, if they're dealing with depression, if they're dealing with suicidal thoughts, um, man, you've got to get pointed toward, you know, medicine's great. I mean, we're sitting here in the doctor's office now. It's great. The Lord has gifted people like your dad to practice medicine and be very intelligent to do that. Um, but appeal's not the answer for everything. Sure. You absolutely. know what I'm saying? And you know that and your dad agrees with that. That's why yeah. I'm here today because I have a very, I'm definitely not a doctor. Um, I've never even played one in a, in a, in a play or on TV, but, but, but your dad is in his sincerity and what he tries to do in his practices and his multiple offices, you know, here in Knoxville and so on and so forth, you know, impresses me that that's what he's trying to do. But that's what people people need to understand is that's where they need to get is that love of Christ, the mindset of Christ, and they be made alive in Christ. And then that starts to take away a lot of the anxiety. It starts mm. to take away a lot of the depression. Um, and they can focus on someone outside of themselves. Yep. That makes a difference. I love that. Dean Davison. Guys, go visit him at Barberitos. I know I'm going to. And uh, y'all are great. I really appreciate y'all hanging out with us on Outside the Box. Dean Davidson, that's a show, man. Hey, thank we you, did, brother. We did it. We did it. We Good did deal. It. Good deal. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. See you Thanks. Guys. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.